conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Jacob Tender. Jacob, I think this is the fastest you've come back on the podcast. It's only been a few episodes here. All it took was uh, the concept of Star Wars and a children's book that I could finish in two hours. Yeah, so we're talking about Star Wars Dark Legends today, and it is a really short book, but it's funny because... It uses language that you wouldn't normally associate with a children's book. Like, I swore I read the word abhorrent, and I was like, what child will understand this word? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it's just a theme with George Mann, the author of this book, but he does sort of write in the way... I don't know. I I don't want this to be a knock, because I think a lot of them were very enjoyable stories, but I think his writing style sort of indicates that he thinks that he's writing in in like this kind of... um, like old not old timey but like mythological style you know what i mean like he he's trying to write star wars stories that are you know spooky or scary Mm -hmm. in a in a style that gives you the sense that they're old like that's the idea right like these are supposed to be dark legends so these are supposed to be old stories that have been handed down over time and eventually committed to paper by george mann um so there was a lot of that it was just a lot of like what's the what's the like bigger like more fancy Dracula kind of sounding word that I could add here. And I I felt that throughout the entire book. Yeah, when I was reading it, I was like, I know that this is like a children's YA kind of book, but it never really felt that way necessarily because, you know, for October, I'm doing a lot of horror type episodes here. And when you recommended this, it was much darker than I expected. And I was like, oh, good, this will work perfectly for the first episode in October then. And I think, like you said, because he's trying to write it as if these are legends that have been around for years and years and years, it comes across Mm -hmm. that way. It's not necessarily that these stories were made for kids. It's that these are the stories you tell kids to let them know about all of these dark things that have happened. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the the first one really sort of ties that all together in the best way, because the, the first story, The Orphanage, is like, even within the story, it talks about these children who have been told this, you know, this dark legend about this person who like comes in the night and steals away kids. Um, so it, it sort of like gives you the idea of what this whole book is supposed to be about while also tying into, you know, sort of vampiristic themes um, and stuff, which all comes together at the end when you figure out like who, who the stories are yeah. about, you know, like a lot of these tie in in some way to stories that we've heard elsewhere in the Star Wars universe. Um, and and some don't, and some stand alone a little better than than others. But yeah, overall, I think um, it was kind of a, a cool collection of stories. I didn't read George Mann's last uh, last batch of stories, which was Myths and Fables, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, but this is sort of the second in that line of kids anthology stories. Yeah. So how do you want to tackle this? Do you want to go story by story, or talk more broad strokes and not spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it yet? I don't know. I feel like we could go story by story. There's not very many of them. It's only, what, five or six? Yeah. And I, I think it's probably important to note in the context of the episode that we're recording that we are reading the original edition right. of this book, uh, which came out in late July. 
not even a month later, they did release a new edition of the book, a Target exclusive that had three more stories in it, which is like the most frustrating thing I think I've ever experienced in, in Star Wars publishing. Um, I mean, I pre-ordered the book and because my pre-order went awry and I ended up getting a copy of a Hardy Boys book instead from Bookshop, I ended up buying a second book because they weren't replying to my emails. And that's the one I sent to you because <laughs> I eventually got my own. And then just as we're reading it, I found out that there is a Target exclusive edition that has three more stories. It's like downloadable content for a book that came out a month ago. It's, yeah. So we we read the first one. We know nothing about the three other stories. And that's that. <laughs> <laughs> it is just one of those annoying things. It's like, why don't you just release them at the same time and give people the choice of getting the Target exclusive one instead of the original instead of having them buy the original and then find out a month later oh hey there's three more stories so now i'm gonna have two of the same book basically right it like to, to me it seems um you know the three additional stories like they could they could put out another edition of this like an expanded edition of of this anthology down the road um a month later no, that's frustrating because we know that those stories were written yeah. at the same time as the original copy of the book. So why release the original copy of the book and then another edition a month later? It's just very silly, and it seems to be something that they're trying out in other ways because the other George Mann book that I mentioned, Miss and Fables, there's supposedly another edition of that coming out that will be available only at Galaxy's Edge, which is even more frustrating. <laughs> and that is supposed to have like, like six additional stories and some of those six might be the same six that are in dark Legends, or like three of the same that were in the new edition of dark legends it's all very confusing they haven't been very clear on that which is even worse so you literally have to go to disneyland to buy this book supposedly that's there that's the thing like they they haven't we know that these things are coming out but they haven't been clear on what stories are going to be in which edition there's going to be like when that edition comes out, it'll be like the third edition of Myth and, <laughs> Myths and Fables. And that came out last year. You know, it's just, it's crazy. It's bonkers. And I will eventually end up buying those copies and probably selling this one off. Even more frustratingly, I don't know. Do you have a copy of Myths and Fables? I don't. I was debating on getting one, though, after enjoying this one so much. Yeah, I actually started reading it uh, the other night. Um, seems pretty cool. But, you know, anybody who follows me on star wars twitter knows that i'm a stickler for books in a series maintaining the same dimensions <laughs> and without getting too deeply into that um these two books are not even close <laughs> in size which is you know it's just frustrating when they're sitting on the shelf because they are like part of a series and they do have like the same sort of style with the covers and the spines um but the size of the book they're they're drastically different and apparently um with these new like special editions they are still not the same size so <laughs> oh two opportunities and they really really botched it but yeah let's uh let's get into this let's talk about that first one yeah, so the orphanage, like you were saying, this one revolves around Force-sensitive younglings who are living together, and you kind of have this stranger-in-my-house vibe with this one, even though, obviously, it's not an actual house, it's an orphanage, but you find out along the way that it ends up being the Grand Inquisitor, who is... Yeah. Hunting and kidnapping these children because they're basically Jedi in training. And I love how when the stories start out, you don't necessarily know 
how they're going to connect to these characters we've heard of before, for the most part. Instead, they let you spend a little time with new characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think all the stories are good at, you know, giving us new characters. Some of them tie in and into characters that we know. Um, This one I thought was neat because, especially with the illustration, which was done by Grant Griffin, that's another really cool part of these books is the illustrations are really great. They sort of pin the Grand Inquisitor as this sort of like Nosferatu-like character. He very much looks like Nosferatu in the illustration. The whole point is that there's like this orphanage of children, and some of them are obviously like Force-sensitive kids, um, and they're able to kind of sense that within themselves. And over the years, like they figure out that it's the Force-sensitive children who are being taken in the middle of the night by this, you know, scary beast that seems to have like some sort of control and can sort of paralyze you. Um, and that's all like really well, it's, it's well and good and it's like kind of creepy and it's kind of scary. It's like a good dark legend sort of, um, take on, on the grand inquisitor, but what makes it so interesting and the, you know, the fact that this is, you know, supposedly canon is that the grand inquisitor really seems to make this like a personal endeavor. So the whole point of the grand inquisitor for anybody who, who doesn't know is that, um, post the fall of the Republic and the installation of emperor palpatine he sort of spun up this like sort of sith offshoot which was the grand inquisitors and their whole job is to go out and hunt down the rest of the jedi that evaded order 66 and then to continually find like the children the four sets of children so they can um prevent the the reinstallation of the jedi order and he's sort of like the lead of this group and the others have appeared in other media like the tv shows and the games and stuff um but the Grand Inquisitor is, you know, usually like he's like the central baddie in Rebels, right? So he's like this, you know, he's, he's sort of like the more or less the Darth Vader throughout the whole thing. And in this story, he like takes this task on himself. Like this is easily something that he could, you know, send one of his other Inquisitors out to do. But he's the one that's creeping through the window at night and grabbing children. Like it's incredibly personal and very sinister. It like makes him all that much more scary. I completely agree. It was one of those things where when I was reading it, I was like, who is this going to be? Because you get a feeling that it's going to be someone on the dark side of the force because that makes the most sense for this story. But at the same time, you're like, okay, is Vader going to show up? Because we know Vader is on the cover. And obviously with the Mm -hmm. illustrations, you do kind of get a sense for at least one or two characters who will show up. So I must not have been paying attention to the illustration when I started this one (laughs) because I should have known that. But I feel like the way he wrote the story, it was like, okay, is the illustration actually going to be related or are these just things they threw in the book for fun? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you don't know, especially since it is the first story. Um, And uh, yeah, I I think it works. I think it's a, it's a fun, cute kind of short story. You got some Jedi in it. Uh, you got some Force-sensitive force kiddos who, you know, maybe down the line we're going to hear from. I, that's the thing I think about when I, I take in all this, like, expanded universe media. Yeah. You got all these new characters that are sort of on, uh, as a tangent to the primary stories that involve the characters that we know. And then these characters get their own spinoffs, and it just keeps going deeper and deeper. And uh, you wonder, like, where, where are these kids going to end up again down the road? Yeah, I have seen some people who are worried that, oh, I have to read the books in order to get the full picture of, like, 
what's happening in Star Wars in conjunction with the movies. And while that might be true for the actual novelizations of the movies that will give you more context, I don't think it's necessarily true for any of this other stuff that they're doing. You can still enjoy something like Rebels on its own without having the context of any of the books that involve those characters. Yeah, and they just keep getting further and further away from the Skywalker storyline, right? It's just every, you know, you've got Rogue One, which is sort of on the fringe of the Skywalker storyline and sort of ties right into it at the end. And then you have books like Catalyst, which are just stories about the people in Rogue One. And it has nothing, really has nothing to do at all with the rest of the story that we know. Um, And then soon we're going to get the Cassian Andor spinoff, which is even further down that hole, right? So it's just, it's kind of like a cascading thing where we're getting further and further away from the storyline that's just sort of wrapped up, which I think is exciting because it means we can go, you know, we can spiderweb out into all these different places. Exactly. Well, the next story is Buyer Beware. And what I like about this one is the fact that there's this mask that really feels like some ancient artifact that has powers. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, totally like 100% in my wheelhouse as a fan of both Star Wars and Indiana Jones and and just sort of any of that like discovery, um, you know, ancient mythology sort of thing. This was a really cool one. This is probably one of my favorite in the collection. Um, It's just kind of based on this, like, you know, he's, he's some sort of like politician guy or he works in some sort of like private sector and he has a lot of money uh, and he, you know, that he seeks power and, and that he uses his wealth to accumulate these riches in the form of these ancient artifacts. He's sort of a collector. Um, And he buys this one that ends up being his undoing. And it's such a cool little story. I feel like it's very, um, it's the most self-contained. And it's also, I think maybe the strongest and most consistent. Like you totally get, you know where it's going and you can get a really good idea of where it's going to end up. But it's, it's perfect in that way. You know, it, 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 even though you know where it's going, it's enjoyable all the way through. So it's cool. Yeah, and it's not the first time that these kind of collectors have come up in the Star Wars universe either. I believe it was in Rebels where they were on some sort of mission and there was just this ship that had a ton of artifacts on it. And it didn't really seem to have any people on it. Oh, yeah. Was that, wasn't that like, it was like the Emperor, uh, the Emperor's ship, right? And... There was like a heist involved, or maybe I'm thinking of one of the comics, but I, I there have been a couple of instances where there are like these caches yeah. of artifacts. Actually, I just finished Battlefront 2 last night, and there was uh, a part of the story where Luke discovers um, one of the Emperor's like hidden caches of artifacts, and that's where he found the compass that will eventually uh, lead him dock to and all that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm remembering that that storyline on Rebels now, and it, it does feel very similar. Like, obviously, there's, there's stuff in here that... People who are of weak will probably shouldn't touch. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And you just get this feeling that this is something that is commonplace in Star Wars, but this specific story is something new. In what way? Just the fact that you have this person who takes the mask and the mask is kind of forcing him to do all these things. Typically, when we see the artifacts, we don't really see them being interacted with too heavily. Yeah, yeah, and when you say like kind of like influences him, like do, how much power do you think the mask has in making him do those things? Like do you do you think he still has the wherewithal to make decisions of his own or 
is the mask really sort of persuading him to take these actions that, you know, he's, he's basically throughout the story. He, he looks in the mask, which sort of tells him the story of the previous mask owner. And it shows like all these things that the mask owner does to take power and they become increasingly more sinister. You know, it's like, it's like theft or whatever. And it eventually leads to murder, which gives him power. And as like the things that he does worsen, like the, the worst the things that he does, the more power that he gets, which sort of sends him spiraling in this, this avalanche of of, uh, of bad activity. Um, it eventually leads to his own demise. And then presumably the cycle continues. But how much sway does it have? I feel like it feeds off of people who are power hungry. So it seems like they already have to want these things. And it just, the mask sort of gives them that nudge. But then it spirals out of control to a point where they can't walk it back. Yeah, I I wonder. Like I, I they're not specific on what the power embedded to this is. Is it Sith power? Is it something else? Um, they don't really say. So, I, I like that ambiguity. I think my favorite stories in Star Wars are always the ones where things are most ambiguous because yeah. you can kind of, you know, I enjoy the gaps in the story more than the explicitly explained uh, things, which is probably you know one reason why I don't necessarily like the prequels quite as much (laughs) they're a little heavy-handed with the detail but yeah this was a cool one for sure yeah and then you have the predecessor which is where our darth vader cover comes in for the stories and this one it wasn't one that was like super interesting because they left it so open-ended that i think you're kind of left wondering well, what exactly is happening here? But I like that because then you have this mystery behind it that isn't solved. And I think that's what makes a legend good too and effective. Yeah, I know what you mean. Because this one was so... This is the one that had like the officer, right? And the yeah. officer like kept seeing ghosts, basically. Um, and the weird thing is like, these were not force ghosts. Like in in the context of Star Wars, when we think of ghosts... We think of Force Ghosts, right? Right. Or maybe we think of like the Night Sister zombies or, you know, something like that. But this is so strange because it's it's another story of power. Um, you have this like Imperial officer who just suddenly inherits a position. And we know that he, you know, like anybody who has seen any of the actual original trilogy movies probably can assume that the vacancy opened up because Darth Vader was not happy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with his predecessor. So Darth Vader kills off a guy. Some dude inherits his position, but doesn't know why. Like he's, you know, been trying to figure out what happened to the guy that had the job before him. And he doesn't find it out. And that paranoia sort of spins in his brain and it manifests itself in these visions. And we don't know if these are like actual visions that he's seeing or if it's just as a, it's like a side effect of his paranoia but it eventually drives him to madness. And that madness manifests itself when they get a visitor on the ship and the visitor is again, Darth Vader. He's coming to check things out, see how things are going. And of course the person that was promoted to the position vacated by the guy that he killed, um, he's, he's cracked up. He's gone to the loony bin. So then he meet he meets the same fate. And right. it, so there's a lot of echoes to the last story. It does sort of have the the same trappings, except that the main character isn't like a power hungry, um, you know, person who's doing all these bad things by all intents. They seem like pretty competent at their job, except for the point that he sees people in the night 
who like are choking <laughs> and it's it is sort of it's maybe like one of the creepier stories it's definitely more like you know ghost story house haunting sort of vibe but it's again sort of like a sort of a, a circular repetitive sort of thing where you know what's going to happen and then when it happens presumably it happens again and the fact that it only happens to people in that position is a little more fascinating because it's not like all of these other people are experiencing the same thing. It's just these people who are suddenly replacing someone who has basically disappeared, fallen off the face of the universe. And yeah, you see how the other people are reacting to him because right. he talks about how the subordinates are laughing behind his back, sometimes not even behind his back. And it just adds fuel to the paranoia. Yeah. I think he's in like an interesting spot because he's the person who has assumed this position, but he doesn't know what happened. So he has people who are over him and under him who know what happened. They know the fate of the person that had the job before him, but they won't tell him. Yeah. And then there's all these other people. And th he talks about, um, you know, this group of friends that he had, these other, like, people that he was, like, a cadet with, uh, and how they stopped talking to him. And they presumably, like, don't know either, or they heard secondhand from other people. But it seems like everybody sort of knows or doesn't care. But he's in the middle, where he doesn't know and he does care, and that's what drives him to madness. Yeah, it's just really fascinating how they can take, you know, this bigger idea of the Star Wars universe and really pinpoint these singular stories that are just so horrific. And when you think of, you know, these horrific things happening in the Star Wars universe, a lot of the times it has to do with the war that's going on between right. the Empire and the Rebellion or now the Resistance and the First Order. And you have this bigger story, but these kind of books allow you to go smaller and really just get to know certain things about characters on a more intimate level. Yeah. And I think that's cool. And they're doing a lot of these books now. George Mann has the two volumes of sort of legends slash stories or fables. And then there's all these other compilations, like from a certain point of view where they take characters from certain movies, like the original star Wars movie or empire. And they've recently released a very similar collection for the clone wars. And they they take one one character that's somewhere in the books or somewhere in the movies rather and they expand on that character's point of view for the thing like the scene where um the droids come to luke's farm uh -huh. in star wars there's a story about red five the droid that blows up and like that entire scene from his point of view which is awesome like that's such a great idea and it makes it even that more enjoyable when you watch it the next time because you can sort of like put yourself in that that character's point of view, whereas usually you're just watching it from Luke's point of view, or maybe even R2 and C-3PO's point of view. It expands the enjoyment of it, and it just sort of takes liberties on parts of the story that just nobody, it, they weren't even gaps. Because because the gaps are filled, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change the story, like the stories in any drastic sort of way, but it gives you an appreciation that all of the, the characters or the, or the droids or creatures in a scene are beings like they have their own agency and they have their own thought and just because that thought isn't the most primary point to the story uh to take it's it's still an interesting point of view to observe so this is this sort of falls into that vein where we get to see you know some faceless nameless sort of drone that we usually see in the movies 
on the deck of a of a star destroyer we, it gives him a face and a name and some personality and his fears and his aspirations and how they all come crumbling down in such a short amount of time uh it's pretty cool yeah and half the time you probably forget the names of those kind of characters in the movies unless it's someone like a general hux who is in it enough but you'll see plenty of people who are given orders or they give orders and then that's it and you don't really know anything about them but you might be at least a little intrigued by them so i think that's why these stories work really well and another thing george mann has managed to do is like add in some horror tropes like this next story blood moon is you know it it's a werewolf story pretty much <laughs> yeah yeah that's basically all it is <laughs> yeah i didn't think this one was that great I don't know. I, I sort of glossed over this one, honestly. I wasn't that interested in it from the start. Yeah, like, I, I think he was just too on the nose. And I think where you might be able to figure out where these stories were heading from the beginning. Again, this is a kid's book. These are not difficult stories to understand. <laughs> um, this one, you knew exactly what it was, especially when you see the illustration. It's like, okay, yeah, this is a werewolf story. They are going to a planet with a moon Everything is red and it makes people really cranky. Um, I think you know what's going to happen here. And that's all it is. It's it's like they're there for, what, basically like one night, one or two nights or something. And they get increasingly, you know, frustrated with each other. And it was supposed to be sort of like a heist movie sort of deal where this planet is basically going to fall apart at any moment. But there's still like some artifacts here that a group of people want to go get. And so they all go, and it's like this ragtag team of different species and people of different personalities. And the one that's the quietest, the one that's like the most um, well-tempered most of the time, uh, turns out the moon really affects them. <laughs> yeah. And makes them a werewolf-like creature that uh, kills most of their friends. And a couple of them escape. I don't know. It wasn't like that interesting to me. It was probably the most like mythical sort of story like it probably fits dark legends the best but it, from a star wars point of view i didn't think it was that cool it feels like this was the one that was really trying to dive into the horror element of these stories because you have certain types of monsters that come about frequently in horror movies and books and what have mm -hmm. you. And obviously you mentioned earlier, the Grand Inquisitor is kind of vampire-like. And you even yeah. see that in the illustration. It kind of reminds you of so many different vampires you've seen over the years. You mentioned Nosferatu. And I thought of mm -hmm. Barlow from Salem's Lot because, you know, that's where my brain goes since I do a Stephen King mm -hmm. podcast, <laughs> as it naturally seems to happen these days. And... Then you have this werewolf story, you have ghost stories, so he's really trying to blend these elements into the Star Wars universe, but I agree with you that this one doesn't seem to work quite as well, and I think it's just because the idea of werewolves in the Star Wars universe seems like something that we might have already had, just because there are so many different types of people and species in Star Wars already. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like it wasn't a stretch um and i think because it was so close to creatures that we know exist like i think the the point of the creature in this story i think without being able to remember what its species name was this is like that wolf like you see in the cantina in star wars 
which was already like the least interesting alien in the cantina in Star Wars because basically they just ran out of masks, but they had an extra chair to fill. And so I'm sure the studio just had like a wolf mask Probably. <laughs> around. They're like, yeah, sure. Let's just put a wolf mask on a person and give them some fuzzy paws. And, and there you go. Now you've got another sinister looking character that can sit in the shadows. I, I get the idea of wanting to build on that. I think going down the route of universal monster is probably not the most interesting way to go about it. I don't know. It's fine. I'm sure there are like people who think this is more interesting. I've just never really found the werewolf stories all that great. Underworld aside, I do have a soft spot for those ridiculously stupid movies. <laughs> yeah, I would say werewolves are the sort of universal monster that I'm least familiar with. It's like I've watched Silver Bullet and that might be the only werewolf thing I've watched. <laughs> I, I'm not 100% sure on that. But, you know, it's clear that for both of us, this was kind of that midpoint in the book where we we're like, oh, okay. And then you're kind of hoping yeah. the last three stories get a little better because there are actually seven stories in this. I can't count. So I I was close with five or six, but it's actually seven. And I have to say, I really love the imagery that goes along with the Dark Mirror. Yeah, it, it's definitely like the most, what is this? You know, yeah. like I can't, you know, with my knowledge of, of the force, I don't know what this would mean. Like, it, it's just sort of weird. It's, you know, it's it's sort of reminiscent of the that really famous poster for The Phantom Menace, where you have, you know, young Anakin walking along this building and the shadow cast is Darth Vader, which is a great poster. I still think it's really, really cool. So this reminds me of that. You've got the Jedi Looks like a Padawan of some kind. He's got his blue lightsaber. And then the shadow on the wall is just this sort of like, again, Nosferatu kind of spooky specter um, shadow with red eyes. It's like, okay, well, something's going on here. Um, and I thought this was a cool one. Like, this was kind yeah. of a cool story. I thought the ending sort of fell flat, but it was uh, it was neat. Maybe you can describe this one. Yeah, so what I gathered from it, because like you, I read this fairly quickly, and I was a little worried I was going to get the details wrong, but you have, like you said, a Jedi Padawan, Sol Mogra, and his master, Nil Idith. I'm so bad at pronouncing these names. I don't even know how Close you pronounce enough. most of them. <laughs> but anyway, his master was like this renowned Jedi, and basically never did anything wrong, and it seemed like Saul was going to follow in his master's footsteps. And when you keep reading this and you see how he's changing and you start to understand this initial image, I think just seeing sort of the demise of characters is always really interesting. And I know when we did our Star Wars mm -hmm. rankings, we talked about that in particular with Anakin becoming Darth Vader and how some people really love that storyline and how it was portrayed. But then, you know, I think sometimes you need a little extra context for Anakin's story. In particular, watching Clone Wars, for example, that helped me understand how he went from Anakin to Vader a little more. But with this, it's all condensed into one story. And I just like how it progresses. But like you said, the ending does fall a little flat. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, the idea of like this medallion or this um, this trinket that they that they wear from their neck, you know, the I don't know what they refer to it as in the in the book, but the master wore it, and this master was like, he's like the best Jedi, right? Everybody's yeah. just like so in awe at how great this Jedi is. 
Um, he's just, he does all these like great acts and he's, he seems really selfless and he's just like the model Jedi and he takes on this Padawan who sort of follows in his footsteps and was, you know, doing very well on his own. But then once he inherited this um, medallion from his fallen master, he notices that like he's, you know, he's inheriting more of the qualities and that sort of, as the longer he wears it, the better he becomes in his acts as a Jedi but he also is, he has these like sneaking suspicions in the back of his head that people are just comparing him to his master. You know, it's this idea of jealousy that the Jedi struggle with. And when you get towards the end of the book, you find that this medallion sort of segments your life in more drastic ways where a normal person might do or say something nasty, you know, during their normal, their normal day. And it's, you have like a balance of, of good and evil, so to speak this really sort of makes it more black and white. So like during the day, there's awesome Jedi. You're like super great. And at night, it turns out you hunt people <laughs> on on the lower levels of Coruscant. And so it's sort of a cool Jekyll and Hyde sort of story. Again, yeah. sort of harkening back to these more universal monster tales. Um, but told in sort of a, a neat way. I liked it for the most part. I, the ending, you know, he's, he just sort of like gives in fully to being this dark specter who hunts people. And I thought that was sort of just kind of, okay. Too easy I don't know. almost. Yeah, it was too easy. Like, the master didn't even do that, right? Like, the master was killed by, by somebody else. And, and maybe, you know, if given more time, he would have gone down the same route. But it just felt like, okay, oh, so he just gave up. And that was the end of the story. That, yeah, I don't know. It fell flat for me. But most of it I thought was cool. I thought it was like a, a cool idea. Um Again, with some sort of lore baked into some kind of artifact. There's a lot of artifacts. I think it's really easy to to do dark legends around artifacts. It's very, um, you know, Egyptian or or uh, mythological in a lot of ways to to tie something evil to something physical, mm-hmm. uh, and has that sort of collectible feel to it. He doesn't even necessarily meet his demise, but it's like you see that slow turn happening, and you could say that. Anakin technically met his demise when he became Darth Vader. And I feel like this is very much along those lines. We're seeing how someone could be so great at being a Jedi, but then do things in the same way that Anakin did when he killed women and children. And he just like went off and killed a bunch of people for what they had done. And it didn't matter to him if they were innocent or not. And I think he felt, also, that it was too late to turn back, right? Yeah. Like, he's already done these terrible things. Like, there's no way he can go back, so he can only go all the way in. And I think Anakin's story is probably told better. Obviously, there's more time <laughs> yeah. to tell that than in, like, what, 10 pages of a, a children's book? But uh, this one was was probably one of the more interesting ones for me. Yeah, I love how some of these go back and touch on characters we're familiar with, but we don't necessarily have a lot of information surrounding them. And with the Gilded Cage, we get to revisit the Night Sisters, who appear in at least the animated shows, right? Yeah, the animated shows. And obviously, you've got Asajj Ventress, who's probably the more popular of them all because she became a Sith. So she kind of plays double duty. Um so there are books, there are stories, there's stuff in, in Rebels, um, Clone Wars. I always find the Night Sisters the most interesting. Also, they're in uh, Jedi Fallen Order for those that have played the game. 
Okay. They're cool because they're they're witches, right? Like it, it yeah. Star Wars was originally supposed to basically be like wizards in space. You know, it's a space fantasy rather than a science fiction film. And I feel like the Night Sisters really take the spirit of that and run with it because they have a they use the force, but in a different way. It's not like what they're doing is good or evil. It's more paganistic. Yeah. Is the way that I kinda like to think about it. Not so much about nature, but sort of like life and death. They get to shoot like green flames and anytime they do a trick. <laughs> like all of their powers are, are very different from the Jedi, but they're still, you know, recognizable as something Star Warsy. And this one got to use like a whole bunch of the the cool Night Sister powers that you don't really get to to see that often. You know, there we know about reanimation. Um the Night Sisters, when their sisters die, they basically put them in these like leather sacks and then just hang them around town. Yeah. Um, if you play Jedi Fallen Order, it's Dathomir is like one of the coolest planets because there are just like all these sacks hanging around and you never know which ones are going to open up at any time and you're just going to get attacked by uh, Night Sister zombies. But we know about like the reanimation aspect. We know about those sort of powers from the show. This one sort of went further in their ability to control the will of others through telepathy over great distances, over vast amounts of time. It's like a, a super strong power. And the whole story is about this one night sister whose sister, whose actual like, you know, blood sister was killed by this Sith Lord who is a Duros. And that's also, also pretty cool. I think it's like the first Sith Duros that I've been aware of. Um, and so her whole life is then just bent on revenge. And instead of outwardly killing the Sith Lord, which would be difficult because they have power, they use their powers of telepathy to look into the future, find a scenario that is most likely to lead to the Sith Lord's demise, and then push them towards it. And it's awesome. And they keep failing, right? Like they keep getting them to that edge where it's all supposed to go downhill for the Sith. And then the Sith kills the person that was supposed to kill them or, you know, finds the artifact, but then does a 180 and abducts the spirit that was protecting the artifact that was supposed to kill them. It just seems like they get so close and then they fail. And then at the end of the story, it turns out that the Sith was completely aware of what was going on the entire time and then ends up trapping that night sister that was trying to thwart him in his brain for the rest of eternity. Or their their brain for this journey. And actually, I'm not, now that I think about it, was the Sith a female? I feel like the Sith might have been female. Maybe. I just can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little hazy on the details. Because sometimes you see names and you can't really tell one way or the other. Because yeah. it's, you know, Sith Lords or Darth whatever. And what I love about the Night Sisters, though, is that they don't really play sides they're on their own side they will go up against the sith they'll go up against the jedi and for the most part it does seem like they just want to be left out of what the sith and the jedi have going on with each other and do their own you know weird creepy ritualistic things in peace yeah like that's their whole thing they basically just want to be left alone for the most part they don't give a shit about the jedi or the sith it's only when the jedi and the sith come to dathomir and interfere and and interfere. Yeah, they've got their own thing going on. And Koldoff, I think, was a male. I just looked it up. But yeah, it's it, that's exactly it. And so they are so protective of their own kind, though, that if they are wrong, they will protect themselves. And this is like, 
this falls very in line with what I know of the Night Sisters, and it's it's a very good story, and it also ends in the best way with, you know, what is really like kind of one of my deepest fears, which is being trapped in a closed space forever. Yeah, this is more of a, a heady version of that. Like it's it's not so um, being buried alive, but it is that same sort of idea where you're trapped in the mind of your enemy just less screaming for eternity like it's just awful but it was cool i thought it was a it was was a cool story it was definitely probably the most ambitious of them all in terms of lore and what the night sisters could do i thought it was neat i would read a whole book about this honestly i think it was probably one of the probably the best out of the batch oh me too because i think they're some of the most interesting characters outside of the jedi and the sith and everyone who's in the rebellion and the first order and the empire because Mm -hmm. they are so hidden away from everyone else too, that you can tell there's some weird stuff going on. I feel like you could do like an entire horror star Wars novel just on the things that the night sisters are doing over the years. And it would be something that would play off really well because I think even though they don't appear super often when they do they're intriguing enough for people to want to know more about them without it really having any sort of impact on any of the main storylines mm-hmm. yeah and uh, there's like a bunch of newer stuff that i have yet to dig into and i, I kind of hope that they take the same approach to the night sisters as george Mann did here in that the easy route is to go zombies because this yeah. is like the canonical place for zombies um there, there, there's more though. Like, I, there's one of those Clone War stories uh, about them. Uh, Dooku, Jedi Lost, again, sort of focuses on Asajj, uh, as a lot of the the stories featuring yeah. the Night Sisters do. Um, but there's a lot of room there. I think that there's a lot more opportunity to explore them a bit because, again, like the 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 Night Sisters tie into Maul, who is my all time favorite Star Wars character. Um, I think there's just a lot of like room to play where you can get really creative and you can come up with cool stuff that hasn't been done before. Yeah, it really makes me want them to take Darth Maul and figure out a way to dive into his story more that we saw a brief glimpse of in Solo. Because I think that was one of the most interesting parts of Solo. It's like, oh, hey, we're going to throw this big character at you who isn't Han Solo and then we're not going to give you anything else. So they left that open-ended too, to where I think they could expand on that more, whether or not it's a movie is another thing. But I think there's plenty of story left to be told with Darth Maul and the Night Sisters for sure. Yeah. Well, we have hit the last story, which is A Life Immortal. And I must say, I have never seen a lightsaber that looks like this one. Yeah, this, I mean, that's like, that's like every star wars author's dream right is sort of being able to take liberties with a star wars weapon and and make it their own and especially the lightsaber this one is cool because the the sith in this story carries a sickle shaped lightsaber so it's a red lightsaber but it's curved at the end so it looks like a hook it looks like a sickle it's it's very iconic it's very different and it's it's neat and we get exegol yes and we get my favorite location in star wars exegol it's like terrifying it's just a very scary place to begin with and this takes like a very the story takes a very alchemist approach to um to the sith 
Whereas, you know, it's not necessarily just using powers. It sort of has this like secret laboratory, right? And you get down there and it's like in the depths of Exegol, which is, you know, this massive structure underground that has all these mazes and things. And they find their way to this laboratory where the Sith was that was on the quest, same quest as they were for like eternal life. And when they get down there, they meet this this pathetic creature, you know, sort of golem-like figure, an Igor of sorts, if you're we're relating this again to the universal um, monster universe. But the whole point is that this Sith wants what every Sith wants, which is to live forever. And they follow the same path as the one before them, and they meet the same fate, which is that the Igor that he found was the Sith Master who had gotten to that point in the thing. And this one decided, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm not going to make any like further research on this topic. I'm just yeah. going <laughs> to do what they did. I'm just going to read the same words. And uh, it turns out, oh no, now I'm this like pathetic creature who just has to like lurk here forever until presumably, you know, Palpatine or whoever finds him um, and makes the same mistake. So again, it's another cyclical story. There's three of them in this book. I think it's a little overplayed at this point, but this is probably the more one of the more interesting out of all of them because again, Sith, Exegol, rituals, like it, it has all the trappings of something that I'm interested in, but I don't know. It was okay. It wasn't like the strongest way to end the book, but it was interesting. You mentioned in the Star Wars rankings podcast that you really enjoy stories when they add more to the lore of Star Wars. So did you feel like this book certainly accomplished that? Or do you think these were just some fun little kind of horror stories to add to the universe, but not necessarily to a ton of the lore? Yeah, I, I think it added to the lore in, in small ways, not insignificant. You know, it is a kid's book. I don't yeah. think the story group is looking to make like huge strides in the way that the force works or any of those you know, things that people look after in Star Wars, but it, it took its chances where it could, right? I mean, if we're talking about weapons, like obviously the sickle lightsaber is pretty cool. Yes. And then you've got all these artifacts that do different things. And you have the Night Sisters, which I think probably went the furthest and probably had the most room to grow in that area. So yeah, I, I think it did add some things. Is it, w will these ideas be expanded on in other media? I think that's the real test. Like I don't imagine... Most people are going to read this book. I think that the same could be said for most Star Wars books in general, but especially a small anthology of horror stories that are intended for a younger audience. I don't, I don't know. So the question is, where does it go from here? I think it, it did what it could and we'll see. Exactly. I love that it didn't feel simplified like most children's books are too. I know we mentioned that a little at the top of the episode, but I think that allowed me to enjoy it even more than I was expecting to going into it because, you know, you see it and it's like this cute little hardcover book and you're like, okay, you know, big print kind of nice spaced out words. <laughs> it's not going to take too <laughs> terribly long to read it. But when you dive into it, there's a lot to take out of it, even if, like you said, these things don't impact the larger universe in super significant ways. There are still things, like you said, that are not insignificant, but who knows what we'll see down the line. Yeah. You never know. I mean, the, these all of these stories take inspiration from other things, and then 
things take inspiration from that. Like that it's a very collaborative world that these authors get to play in. Um, and it's cohesive or as cohesive as it can be because there is a group of people that sort of try to rein these things in. And that's a difficult thing to do when you have so many authors and so many different mediums, you've got books and comics and games and movies and TV shows. Like there are a lot of different playgrounds for star Wars. I'm thankful that there is a group that's sort of trying to keep things canonical and keep it all together because otherwise we evolve into the expanded universe, which was fun now, now called legends, but it's just, it's messy. Like there are too many different storylines and you don't know like, which one are you supposed to follow from? It's like branches coming off of branches off of branches and you don't know which one is going to go the furthest until you hit the end. It's like, Oh, well, I kind of like that the way that was going, but if I want to keep reading more, I have to go back. I have to follow this different storyline, which goes in a different direction, and that branches off in different ways. So um, the nice thing about this is you can read any Star Wars Expanded Universe book, any of this, this new canon that they've created, and it all fits. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about it not fitting because it, its intention is to fit together in different ways, which does impose limits. So there are certain things that people can't write about or they hit a wall because it runs into something that's already been talked about in a book. And it's probably a book that they haven't read or maybe that didn't even know existed because it's not like every author who is writing in Star Wars is reading every other Star Wars book. That would just be insane. They probably don't have time. <laughs> no, of course they don't. I mean, it because they're also writing in other universes or they're writing their own fiction. Um, it, it's impossible to read all of it, but it's great that there is a official body that is trying to keep that in order. And also great that there are unofficial bodies like editors at Wikipedia <laughs> who are compiling all this information to like a more public source. So that if you are interested in one character, for instance, like Darth Maul, um, you can go to Darth Maul's page on Wikipedia and you can look at all of the canonical entries for that character. So even if it's like a, a tangential mention in a different book, um, that he's not even in, you can get that context really quickly because usually somebody will add that <laughs> to Wikipedia within a couple of months of the book coming out. So yeah, I, I, I think every book plays its part. It's definitely harder when you're marketing a book to kids probably, but yeah. it, it's still canonical nonetheless. I don't think that they rank that any, any less highly than, than anything else that comes out. It's just, um, yeah. And again, these are legends. So I think there's probably some some leeway there where if they did want to override something that were in these stories, they probably could because they'd be like, oh, well, those were just, uh, you know, they're stories. Those were just stories. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I love that you recommended this one, though, because it was so up my alley. As soon as I saw it, I was like, "Ooh, Star Wars and horror. Jacob knows me well. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, if you're interested, like I know you're reading a lot of Dark Tower right now, but if you want to get into like more like fantasy stuff, the the other book that he put out is, is probably right up your alley too. Written in a very similar fashion. Stories are, are sort of similar, but told at a, at a more like fable fantasy level than anything sinister or scary. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much like, if you're interested in Star Wars and you don't like want to dedicate the time to all these like novels, um, spinoffs for Ahsoka or Padme, uh, or characters in Rogue One, there are these anthologies. I think it's like a great way to get into that and see if it's something you like because they are short stories. I, I don't, I think this book probably took me less than, you know, an hour and a half to two hours over the course of a couple days to work my way through. It's very short, it's very small. And there's a bunch of books like that. 
Yeah, I didn't even know this one existed before you recommended it. And you're my go-to for all things Star Wars, pretty much. So I was like, all right, you pick a book that you think you and I could both read fairly quickly because I know not everyone reads like a maniac like I do. And like you said, I'm in the midst (laughs) of reading a bunch of Dark Tower because Stephen King released three books back to back to back. Thankfully, I'm on the third of those. So, you know, we're we're getting closer here, but (laughs) it's still like a 845 page book that I'm starting now. So (laughs) I was very thankful that this was a quick read and it kind of blended so many things that I enjoy about horror and Star Wars. And it just worked out really well for not only me having the time to read it, but, you know, being able to get you back on so soon after the Star Wars rankings episode. Because like I said, usually we we wait a little longer before you're back on, but... Yeah, it's like every 50 or so. <laughs> <laughs> We've broken the mold here. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it's I, I don't read like at all really these days. I mean, I read, but it's it's usually stuff online. It's not... I'm not reading yeah. a lot of books these days. Uh, this is a good way to get back into things. I'm going to keep going on the the anthology track, but I really want to get into some of the other novels. Like I've, I, I have a lot of them. I, I would go so far as to say I have most of them. Um, yeah. And they just they fill my shelves, and it's it's time to dust them off and and actually do some reading. And this is a good way to start. I'll probably jump from this one, uh, this this other George Mann book to to maybe the Clone Wars ones to kind of keep keep going on the anthology train for a bit. But I. Uh, yeah, like the, I keep hearing great things about the Thrawn books, um, mostly from you. So I, yeah. I eventually got to dig into those because there's so many of them now. So yeah, hopefully this this keeps up. And I did sort of the opposite thing where I went and picked up a bunch of the Legends books. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I have like that Thrawn trilogy. I have some of the other, not necessarily trilogies, but story arcs that they did. There mm-hmm. were like some that were four or five books and. I pick them up because I find them at places for like 50 cents or a dollar. And I'm oh, like, yeah. well, Those I love Star Wars. Those paperbacks are so easy to get. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I picked up the entire the entirety of the X-Wing saga, which is, oh, geez. I mean, that's probably like maybe six books, six or seven. I can't see them because they're covered up by a, a Yoda figure that Mike sent me. But um, yeah, I, I picked all those up for like four dollars. <laughs> yeah it's a great deal and i mean i've paid for some on like thrift books or something but that's still cheap it's not like i'm going to ebay and paying a crap load of money for these legends books which i'm sure there are certain books you, you can pay a lot of money for because they're out of print and things like that but yeah. i think you know just finding them i'm like well you know what i will have time to read them eventually hopefully anyway <laughs> because i yeah. am getting closer to being caught up with Stephen King books. It's still, you know, maybe a year or so out, but I I think, you know, and you I, know he's going to keep publishing. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be That's at a slower rate King. for me to keep yeah. up with. That's true. Yeah, you're getting close. It's cool. I I don't read really any of the legends. I intended to. I did want to read the the, the Thrawn trilogy before the new canon came out and I, I had the book and I was like ready to go. And then a new Dan Brown book came out and I started reading that instead. <laughs> and then once new canon dropped, I was just all over that. And there was a period where I was reading all of them, all the adaptations and all the, the side books and things. And then legends becomes less interesting. Like it's definitely yeah. cool. Like there are cool stories there, but because I know they don't, I, I hate to say this because I know like this is what frustrates a lot of people who grew up reading the expanded universe but it doesn't feel like they count, you know? Right. 
they don't apply to canon and that's what i'm interested in i'm interested in like the the actual like the canonical universe and how all these different stories interplay with each other and the cool thing about the new canon is that they did invite timothy zahn back to write thrawn again like they made yeah. thrawn canonical because he was so beloved and we may not see that from Mara jade um well we definitely won't see that from Mara jade at least not in the context of of how she existed in the expanded universe but um it's cool like there there are a lot of canonical stories that lift very heavily from the expanded universe and they do make those those aspects of the EU that people really enjoyed canonical in whatever way they can as far as it fits within the context of what they're doing now so i know that upsets a lot of people <laughs> who yeah. who read them all i'm fortunately not as familiar with it before the new canon i read a lot of the dark horse comics but i'm not necessarily bummed out that those aren't canon you know i i think it's a it's a cool thing and it's very unique because again not all canons are as consistent right. as Star Wars. Like it, it's very rare for any sort of franchise to have this sort of level of of consistency and interplay between all the different stories. It's it's very special. And so as as long as they continue doing that and until they wipe canon again, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm probably just gonna stick with the newer books. Yeah, I dove into a lot of those, too, as they were coming out. I would check them out from the library and whatnot. And I was trying to read them in, like, chronological order to keep things straight, but I probably ended up not doing that. And I just like digging into the universe because, like I said, I bug you with all of my Star Wars questions, pretty much. <laughs> and I'm like, can you explain this to me? So the fact that this was something that doesn't really require any extra explanation was nice. So, Jacob... Thank you again for recommending Dark Legends and for coming on to talk about it. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.